Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, joined, as always, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And I'm super stoked for today's episode for many reasons. First on the list, without question, is our special guest, Danielle, a.k.a. Felcandy, and our own Inking Out Loud artist. What's up, Danny? Thank you for coming on. Thanks. Danny. I really am excited to be here. <laughs> I just, I'm excited to have you here. Danny, for those who don't know, has been doing art for Drew and I since before the beginning of this podcast. We have known her for years. She's a great friend of ours. I'm stoked to have her on for a proper episode here. And while I'm talking about that episode, we are finally jumping into a series that I've been absolutely just chomping at the bit to cover since we began this podcast for episode 107. Danny joins Drew and I to talk about Illuminae by Jay Kristoff and Amy Kaufman, book one of the Illuminae files. I'm so stoked to start this. Drew, do you have a recap for us? I do. And uh, listeners will have to forgive me if I miss or leave out anything super, super important because I've only read the first book. So if there's like some important stuff that happened here for later books, I don't know about it. But uh, this book <laughs> is an epistolary novel, uh, which means it's it's kind of a collection of uh, messages, emails, uh, you know, uh, video recordings and transcriptions Ugh. in in world artifacts, and it follows the adventures and misadventures of two main characters, uh, Ezra Mason and Katie Grant, uh, who are uh, residents of an illegal mining colony that gets attacked by a rival mining corporation at the beginning of the book. And they, along with all of the survivors, are fleeing from a uh, an enemy dr- battle dreadnought, the Lincoln, in a small flotilla of ships. There's the Copernicus, which is a, uh, a freighter, the Hypatia, which is a science vessel, and the Alexander, which is the uh, United uh, United Terran, you nailed it. United yeah, Terran United Authority, Terran Authority. Uh, battleship, and uh, and as as things move on here, the artificial intelligence running the battleship, running Alexander, decides for some reason that it needs to nuke the crap out of the Copernicus and kills several thousand people. And over the course of, you know, the next couple hundred pages, we find out why. And that is because the uh, enemy corporation, is that Baytech? Yep, Baytech. Yeah, yeah. they they used uh, biological warfare when they attacked the colony and introduced a virus called Phobos, which basically turns people into uh, crazed zombies. And, uh, (laughs) And some survivors from the Copernicus get over to the Alexander... There's a whole bunch of political jockeying and infighting. They shut down the AI, Aiden, and have to bring him back up because the enemy ship, the Lincoln, is catching up. And when he helps them defeat the Lincoln a second time, since the Lincoln was defeated for the first time at the attack, um, he decides he doesn't want them to uh, shut him down again. So he opens the doors to the hangar bay where all of these crazy zombie people are and they invade the rest of the ship. We have a, a wild sequence of events where Katie comes over from the Hypatia to save Ezra, only to find out that Ezra is dead. 
and uh, she has to help Aiden fix the Alexander just enough to take on the Lincoln one last time and get the Hypatia away to safety. She does succeed. She barely survives uh, some major gamma radiation, and she is rescued by the Hypatia, only to discover that uh, Ezra did not die, and Ezra's mother was in charge of the attack all along. So. <laughs> I am still really envious of your ability, <clears throat> pardon me, to retain this much information out of a book that you've read as few times as you have, because I think I probably read this book five or six times before I managed to retain that much. It is sort of confusing. Um, it really is. So I've read this twice now, but the first time I read it was uh, about three and a half years ago, and to give you an idea of how well I remembered it from that... um. I forgot that there was the whole, like, Ezra's dead. Oh, wait, no, he's not. Like, I totally just, like... <laughs> like, one of the biggest reveals. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I, I did not remember many of the details of the end of that book uh, at all. Uh, so reading through it again was actually kind of a lot of fun because, uh, you know, I was more or less experiencing aspects of it basically for the first time. So Yeah, that's... That's how I am now with a lot of rereads that I do because my retention of, of books as I read them just once is just, it's it's getting worse and worse. Particularly because for this podcast, I'm doing audiobook as first time reads, right? Mm -hmm. So if retention is your idea, is what you're going for there, it's not really a good way to do it. Although it is convenient. It's very convenient with a job like mine. Um, and I did it for this book as well. I did the audiobook for this book first as well years ago, back in 2016. Mm. But... And I will say this, this is the only book I will ever admit to being better than the actual physical. The audiobook is better than the physical. Ah. That, that <laughs> is so wild to me that, that you guys uh, vouch for the audio in, in such strong terms because the physical book is so unique. It's, you know, the, the oh my page God. layout right is, here in front of me. like, uh, you know, the, the artistry in... In the page lot, and, and I mean this. This brings us right into writing style. That Let's do there's it. more yeah. than just writing style in this book. There's there's graphic design. You know, there we have these scenes of the dog fights, where the text weaves across the page in the in the tracks of the cyclones, and uh, and and when when Katie is in uh, in like zero G on the outside of the Alexander, the text follows her bounding over the surface and climbing up the ladders. Yeah. And, uh, it, it's, it, it, I mean, it reminds me greatly of house of leaves. Um, uh, Mark yes. Z. Danny Levsky. Danny Levsky. Is that his last name? I can't remember. It's I wouldn't one. know how to pronounce it, but yes, I, I know which one you're talking yeah, about. Uh, I haven't read it myself. I, I read that um, for, a really awesome literature class uh, back in college, but that was a decade ago now. So, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, but, but that was one of the things that struck me with House of Leaves. And when I heard about Illuminae, I was like, oh, so it's like science fiction, YA House of Leaves. Um, and, uh, and, and it did, um, to an extent, it, it lived up to that expectation in the, the layout and design. It doesn't have the, layered narratives that house of leaves does but it it does have the the artistry you know where you have you know pages like this i'm you know, i'm holding up uh, right in the middle of the mm -hmm. book when um 
Yeah. Ezra makes the shot on on the Lincoln and and you have to literally like turn the book uh, 360 degrees to read each line. Um Really? It's just I haven't it's actually fascinating to gone me to that point in my that, physical uh, that it apparently translates so well to audio with the visual aspect of the book being so important. I can see that. And there are points Yeah, so sorry, sorry go ahead, Danny. So when I when I was listening to you guys talking about how you can remember the book, in this book I feel like my memory is mostly jogged by the the different layouts of the pages. Like you get you these big chunks of of dialogue um between Katie and, and Ezra and Katie and who you know, whoever, and their text messages or chats or whatever, and those parts really stick out to me and I remember like you know, people interacting with other people and and different conversations. But then you get to the parts where there's an analyst who's listing what's going on on video, and then you remember scenes, and they kind of play in your head because you can, as you're listening in the audiobook, you can hear this man reading out what's going on on the video camera. So it's like, it's a little different from when you're reading a book and a video is playing in your mind. It's It's someone telling you about a video, yeah. And so it's kind of an interesting style choice. Um, and, and for the audiobook specifically, because I've read it in both the hardcover and an audiobook and an ebook, um, <laughs> the audiobook has this, this really interesting cinematic layer with all of the different actors that they use and the sound effects. They have guns shooting in the distance. They have um, distortion on the voices when they're speaking through a bad connection. Mm-hmm. They have all these different sounds, like a beeping sound for the the countdown for when the Lincoln yeah, arrives. Yeah, yeah. All sorts of things, and it builds up your suspense. I'm literally getting goosebumps on my <laughs> yeah, arms right yeah. now thinking when about it. When they're talking about Mozart's so Requiem good. in D minor, you are hearing Mozart's Requiem in D minor. Yes. You're hearing the pilots screaming to each other and the explosions as they're dying. You hear the heartbreak in certain characters' voices mm-hmm. during emotionally yep. tearing scenes that just, for my for me, wouldn't come through on a page. And I'm holding my pristine hardcover copy that was given to me by a friend here. I've only flipped through it just to check out some of the aesthetic points, but I have not, to this day, actually done a proper read through the entire physical thing. Uh-huh. I have a good idea of, of how it presents everything, and I can't help that just the analytical part of me just really can't help but wonder what the cost was of printing this damn thing. Oh, oh yeah. I know, with the pitch black right, pages. Yeah, so but then again, <laughs> you have to wonder that same thing about the audio because they have a full cast. It's like, a, yes. I mean, I've never listened to graphic audio, but it's a lot like what I imagine graphic audio to be. There's like almost like an actual play of the thing happening. It's just, mm-hmm. it really is next level pr- uh, uh, production budget. It's just, it is absolutely something to... To uh, behold. So do they the audiobook is so good. Curses in the audiobook. Yes. Well, they actually do what we do, yes. Drew. Is they don't actually add a bleep. They just cut the word. So instead of f- which for those in the listening to this later is going to sound like the same, they just go. F- oh, I, yeah. Actually, they cut the middle section of the word these days. Um, I know he was doing the cut thing, but I think he went back to bleeps. Not sure. Um, Did he? Yeah. Uh, well, he should do cuts now to fit the spirit of the book. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll have to, to, tell him to insert that actual sound effect. 
See, you yeah, could we'll tell that I've only that. been listening to the pre's. I haven't actually listened to the final products of any of these episodes in many, yeah. many <laughs> months at this point. I just listen to them before they come out, give him a censor list, and then go from there. So I would like to mention, since we're talking about the um, audiobook and the physical copy, the first time that I read it, I read it in the physical copy in one sitting, straight through. It was amazing. Really? That was your first Second read? time I read it, yes. Oh, wow. Second time I read it was in audiobook, and I read the whole thing through audiobook. And this time, I don't remember how many times I've read it, but this particular time, I actually read along <laughs> in the book, and I marked all the differences Whoa! from the Seriously? audiobook and the hardcover. Yes. And there are some really interesting ways that they interpret some of oh the scenes. Oh my god, I'm and, so... And things. So it was really, really cool. Hmm. Like, some of the pictures are, like, there's a propaganda poster on the wall in the book. I know which one you're talking and about you already. you can see it on the yep. wall. There's, like, red writing on it or something. And in in the audiobook, um, they'll have, like, some radio announcer or something. And he comes on and he starts yep. reading and it. And some pippy and music. And he's all chipper about it. And and then, you know, it, it's just, they interpret things in a very unique and interesting way and it really comes through well in the audiobook and i actually i think that i prefer the audiobook this time oh yeah there are definitely things in the audiobook that you can tell after listening to it a few times i could tell i was like oh i'm gonna want to see this in the physical to see what this actor was doing at this point particularly one point that, that comes to mind when ezra is drunkenly emailing katie and he's going on and on at the very end. He goes, and it <laughs> yeah. makes me just want to mash my face across this keyboard. <laughs> yeah. He makes that noise. And I'm going, oh, so he's actually mashing oh, yeah. his it's, face on the keyboard. It's, it's like going literally... to be literally. Of... Yeah. Yep. Like a string yeah, of it's, characters. It's like ASDFGHJ. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. You can see Ezra uh, mashing so his is, face that on that cool keyboard. It's just funny. It's so that. Uh, they made the audiobook unique in in a different way <laughs> than the layout of the physical copy is unique. So they, yes. they went out of their way to provide an experience oh yes, my God. instead of just it's, a transcription. You know, it's like a radio show or, or, or something, like War of the Worlds. Mm -hmm. yeah. or, oh, yeah, yeah. You really feel like these things are happening. I totally forgot about the War of the Worlds radio show until you yeah. mentioned it. That was like the entirety of my seventh grade year <laughs> yeah. was just listening to that over and over again <laughs> on cassette. <laughs> no, it's like this. I think is the greatest audio, wow. greatest audiobook I've ever heard. Like, oh my, oh yeah, God, the the full cast, like the humanity we get out of Katie and Ezra, wow. the smooth and creepy, but kind of eventually endearing somehow and disturbing for it tones of Lincoln Hoppe as as Aiden, the heartbreak in. Winifred McCall and James McNulty and Sierra Bowl. Like this these are top tier performances by some of the best names in the industry. You know? Just good. Yeah. Well, actually, speaking of Aiden's voice, um, in the book it says that it's a genderless right. yeah, um, yeah. kind of a neutral voice. And when I first read it, I pictured a very different voice from the audiobook, which is a man. And the voice in the audiobook really upped the almost romantic tension yep. between yeah. Aiden and Katie, which I didn't quite pick up on as much as, as I did when I was reading the hardcover. Mm. Did you pick up on that I at all? I did Drew? not get any romantic. Oh. No, you <laughs> didn't. Eh? Well, I mean, like I, 
no. Um, <laughs> I got a sense. I well, this is this is something for for characters. Um, yeah. But but on style, sticking with style a little yep. bit more. I, I I do want to talk about voice because since this is a an, an epistolary novel, it doesn't utilize traditional prose. Mm-hmm. Uh, there isn't as much of an opportunity for the authors to craft beautiful sentences and scenes, and they really have to lean on powerful character voices mm-hmm. to drive the emotion and and to hook the reader into the story. And I think, mm. generally speaking, they do a really good job of that. Uh, the the instant messenger conversations, you know, between Katie and, and Byron, or Katie and Ezra, or Ezra and Dorian, Ezra and Jimmy, like, uh, there's a natural flow of conversation. Like, you can, you can totally tell that Jay Kristoff and Amy Kaufman were of the generation that used AOL Instant Messenger. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> it's a definitely a nod to the, you know, the 80s and 90s. <laughs> yeah, like, it, it's, it, it just flows nicely in a very different way than, say, the prose of someone like Gene Wolfe or uh, Ursula Le Guin or you know, Patrick Rothfuss, whoever you want to say it, like, in a different mm-hmm. way than standard prose flows. It flows because it's conversational, mm-hmm. because it's literally a conversation. But it's, it's a mark uh, in their favor that they're able to write what feels like natural conversation. Yes. A lot of authors struggle with this. Uh, I, I mean, I know it's a, a major criticism that a lot of people have of Brandon Sanderson. They say his dialogue is stilted. Uh, you know, there uh, there are a lot of authors out there who just dialogue isn't their strength. Dialogue no, Drew, is clearly. Do you feel like that here. might be because um, it's a a man and a woman author, and they're co-authoring the book, and so they're able to come up with a a real comfortable dialogue between Katie and Ezra or Katie and Byron. So I, I was actually going to ask a, a question of you guys. Um, was it that like Jay wrote Ezra and Amy wrote Katie? Believe it or not. Or did they share duties? Do we know? I just the watched around? the interview that they did when they were doing their press tour for Obsidio. I just watched it like, two hours ago and they openly admitted that there were certain characters that one would write over the other so Mm -hmm. i very much got the impression Mm -hmm. that of course jay was writing ezra amy was doing a lot of writing katie but they also said that with Hmm. with analyst id 7213 everybody's favorite security footage analyst and transcriber that was the one character that a they did they were not expecting to take off in the fandom like it did (laughs) everybody loves that guy and B, that was the one character <laughs> that they came the closest to writing 50-50 on. That was the one character that oh, they wow. both kind of meshed on and kind of wrote equally would be security footage analyst 7213. I find that really interesting okay. because I definitely thought that Jay wrote Katie because Jay yeah. has mentioned that he wrote almost all of Aiden's lines and Katie had a very like similar kind of poetic her diary when we could enter her diary she wrote really deep um thoughtful prose in her diary could be the case yeah they just said that there were characters that one wrote 
over the other. There were characters that they would that they would themselves take and write big chunks hmm. of, most of. So it could be that I just got them inverted. So, yeah, it if, very well could be. If they did approach these, especially the instant messenger things, as like an actual conversation between the authors, like Ooh. put yourself into this character's shoes, yeah. I'm going to put myself into mine, let's have a conversation and see what happens. That could... You know, that could be genius. That would, for you just blew my mind, Drew McCaffrey. Kind of exploratory writing. <laughs> that's like something that <laughs> yeah. your hippie creative writing professor I mean, in some college class would just <laughs> take everybody outside and say, let's do this for today. That's awesome. I didn't even consider that, but that you're very, that's totally valid. Like, I want to try that now. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> <laughs> Put yourself in this yeah, person. Well, I mean, yeah, when I, you write, you I can read be... it out loud and make sure that it sounds it's role playing. Like the flow it's role, is Which good, I've never really so, experimented yeah, with, but I could see that. yeah. Huh. It would be fascinating to, to find out. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I think that that brings me uh, to the end of my style. Oh, really? If you guys have, I was expecting uh, you to have more. a lot here because I still have a load more in style. Well, <laughs> so a lot of it is going to tie into character. Okay. Because, you know, as I said, like, characters drive this story much more than the actual, like, writing does. Like, this is... Uh, it's a more like collaborative writing thing in the sense of like uh, the words, the characters, the design of the book all together are like forming the writing style um, much more so than in a normal book. And so like, I don't know. I, I have a hard time kind of separating some things from okay, that's fair. character. Um I, w- I want to talk really quickly about my first impression of this book and, and, and how it fits as a young adult novel, because it is technically a young, it's, it's, you find it on the young adult shelf um, at your local bookstore. But with my first impression, on my very first read, which again was over audiobook, and what I assume was on the very first page, even though Katie preceded this with, you know, this will probably sound ridiculous or some such, hearing I had just broken up with my boyfriend, like... 10 seconds into the book, I couldn't help but mm-hmm. roll my eyes at that line. I was like, mm-hmm. uh, that's right. I have to prepare myself for the fact that I'm jumping into a YA novel. And then immediately after that, 17 year old. Katie is saying, and I was going to go back to plotting my idiot ex's downfall or, or something like that. I don't, I don't mean <laughs> to give her such a little snooty voice there. It's just, I, I can't do that register. <laughs> but, you know, after like two or three minutes, the humor started to reach me. I think it was Ezra... Uh, telling the interviewer something like, oh, here we are in the middle of this world-ending situation and we're shouting about college applications and commitment and shit. Can you believe that? <laughs> to which the interviewer goes, well, you said you're 17, right? Ezra's like, almost 18. And he goes, yeah, then I can believe it. Yeah. Like a 17-year-old Exactly what say. a 17-year-old <laughs> yeah. would say. I had this exact moment with a new guy I was training at work a week before I read this line again. And I asked him, I was like, how old are you again? He, uh, I said, you're, like, you're 17, right? He's like, he goes, almost 18. I'm like, yeah, that's something a 17-year-old would say. Okay, all right, I got it. <laughs> Just boom, relatable, little chuckle. And then we got the whole Ezra looking for the right soundtrack thing. We have that situational humor there. And by like the 10% mark of the book, the situation had me hooked enough to continue. I want to say that I almost put it down, but in a way, also, I kind of never was going to put it down. But there was definitely that first moment of, ugh, 
and I, but I'm really glad mm-hmm. that I stuck it through because like this became one of my favorite books of all time. Um, but I still, again, I want to pass this off to you guys to reiterate, like, how did we feel about the young adult aspect of this book? Do either of you think that maybe you would have enjoyed it more as a full blown, just no holds barred adult novel? Because in some ways it kind of reads like it. Like, what do you think? Either of you, let's start with Danny. I, so I, I have kind of like a preconceived notion of YA, like a lot of adults do. Um, I roll my eyes at the goofy thing, but you know, we all did it. We're all teenagers at one point. Um, with this book, if it was turned into a movie, it would be rated R. I oh, mean, yeah. no joke. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh, <yeah. laughs> but with the characters being the age that they are, I think that it's a real good um, point for the reader to enter this fray because they are learning things about themselves and about how they are in, in situations. And, you know, us 30-year-olds or however old we are, we're not going to be thinking about like, oh, what would I do in this situation? Like a 17 th- year old thinks about these kinds of things. I don't know. I just feel like <coughs> it's not it's not a traditional YA story. It's it's just got some young characters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Before I get what you want to say, Drew, I want to just really quickly uh, jump on on what you mentioned there, Danny, when you said, you know, this being a YA book and all, we can all remember what it was like to be a teenager. We've all done certain things that we're cringing at reading now. And there was one, you, you just jogged my memory there when you said that. The the way Ezra goes, uh, to, he, he emails Katie at one point and he says, hey, by the way, that, that drunken message of me, it totally not me. You know, one of the squaddies got on my terminal and he decided <laughs> to, to, to troll me a little bit. Totally not me, I swear. Seriously. P.S. Seriously. You know, it's just... <laughs> I've been there. I've been that dumbass 16 year old, 17 year olds having to go, oh God, what did I say last night? What did I do? You know, it's, it's so relatable. Again, it goes back to the humanity, it goes back to the relatability of these characters. They just knocked it out of the park, I think. Drew? Okay. Well, I, I may have a little bit of a hot take here. Okay, let's hear it. <laughs> I don't think this book works unless it's YA. Mm-hmm. Okay. I I do not think it works unless it's YA. Uh, I I'm not in initially like if I see the YA label on something, I'm not gonna just immediately say like, oh, that's worthless. That's not literature. You know, mm-hmm. that's not worth my time. Um, some of it, some YA that I've read, I was not enchanted with. Mm-hmm. Um, this is absolutely one of the better YA books I've read. Uh, but I think why it needs to be YA is because the emotion drives the story and you won't get this kind of emotion with 30 or 35 or 40 year old characters. Mm-hmm. You get it with the teenagers mm-hmm. and, and that makes it so much more powerful. You know, if you have a, a an adult in the prime of, the, of, you know, their, their life, um, you don't have the ache of impending, loss on the potential mm-hmm. you know you, you don't have the uh the same situation with like you know these are young young kids these who two had a relationship that broke off for for dumb reasons and they're realizing they were dumb reasons and want to make something of their lives and now they're about to lose that chance mm-hmm. you don't get that if they're 
30 years old. You know? Yeah, okay. You, you don't have that same sense of of promise and potential. Uh, lines like, you know, the stars behind her eyes, those don't ring the same way. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, I, I, I think... Choosing okay, that's fair. to make yep. this a YA book was a stroke of genius. Well, I mean, if you think about it, you wouldn't want to read this book from the perspective of like Sarah Bowl or David Torrance or anything, because the adults are yeah, almost right. kind of like the antagonists in this book. I mean, that's, they don't think about yes. things the way that teenagers think. Yeah, about okay, it. that's that's a very very valid point. Yeah. I had, and I had that one that I hadn't considered the fact that because a large part of the of the narrative involves the adults being as Danny you you astutely pointed out you know kind of the antagonists even though I don't know if they really would be technically there's I still mean, a whole lot of <laughs> um authority is bad the, the, the adults don't know they just don't understand us they don't they don't know what's going on they don't have all the answers there is a there's a lot of of that the flavor adults are to trying to act rationally mm-hmm. and the main characters are acting utterly irrationally but yes. that's what makes it good that's what yes. makes it an engaging story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like <laughs> like that one terrible, ter- terrible, <laughs> terrible scene. I was going to say terrifying and terrible. You pulled a rob. It's both. You mixed up two words. Um, I love it. Wait till you start mixing up so two phrases. So that one scene where Sarah Bull gets James McNulty and his crew of, I think they were fighter pilots, in the airlock and they came over from the Lincoln and he's like, oh, you know, it's it's just a cough or something like that. And and she she flushes them out. Oh, that the was uh, Mikhail Carlin. That oh, was Chatter. Oh, with, uh, yeah. with Dorian. Oh, yeah, that was Mikhail. Or, That's yeah, right. Chatter, Chatter, yeah. So yeah. That, that made Sarah an antagonist in Katie's mind. She saw that happen. And... And she approached her about it. And Sarah is obviously trying to do her best, which is what Aiden is trying to do, his best. So it's it's all about these people trying to do the right thing, and nobody really has the answer. And it has to be some kind of stroke of luck that gets them through this. Miracles are statistical improbabilities. <laughs> yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, as so. far as... Sorry, that's, go ahead. That's my hot take. That wasn't so hot. <laughs> no, I agree. I was with expecting it. way yeah. hotter than that. I agree with that too. No, uh, I, I have, I have one scorching take that, uh, but we'll save that for near the end of the episode. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you don't make us mad. Okay. Uh, this is one that I want to bounce uh, more, and more particularly, uh, in more particularly, listen to me more specifically off of Danny, cause, because you have more experience with Jay Kristoff's writing. Drew, I know you've read. Half mm-hmm. of one of his other books, Nevernight. I have read all of Nevernight, but I haven't read the rest of that series either. Um, mm. But this being a book written by two authors, I, and I'm sure there are many others out there, uh, can't help but consciously search for the obvious style breaks. And we kind of touched on this mm-hmm. earlier when we were talking about the writing of different characters in particular and how they were divided. Um, but I'm seriously constantly searching to see if I can determine distinct authorial voices and i doubt i'm the only one i'm always thinking about which scenes which characters are written by jay and which are written by amy Mm -hmm. uh for the past few years i've come to distinguish what i think is jay Kristoff's voice um because of my experience with nevernight even though i i I didn't really like i said i didn't finish that series but if i'm reading into it correctly jay Kristoff has this sort of flair for the reverent witness 
the uh, we get a lot of that out of Aiden, the lyrical or perhaps poetic turn on phrase. Like he employs a lot of metaphors. I think I can see Jay's hand behind a lot of what comes out of Aiden's mouth, but I could be totally wrong about about that. Um, it, like this, just like this, there's an opinion that formed quickly out of my many read many reads of Illuminae and and one only of Nevernight. But there are a couple lines that I want to just guess that Kristoff wrote. All right. Mm-hmm. When Ezra is flying the Cyclone against the Lincoln's Warlocks during the second technical encounter, even though it's our first encounter narratively, like roses in his hands, death Mm -hmm. blooms. Mm -hmm. That's totally From what I encountered in Nevernight, (laughs) that line has Jay Kristoff written all over it. And I love that line. You know, uh, the draft that Juliet sought at her Romeo's lips, madness in binary. You know, what do you like, Danny? You've read all of the Neronite Chronicle. Okay. What do you think? Yeah, Jay. So I, I can only speak to Jay's writing because I haven't read I'm any other there. Amy I'm Kaufman books. Amy Kaufman leans more towards YA, from what I understand. Okay. Her books are more for the mm-hmm. younger adults, and Jay Kristoff's are more for new adults. Na, um, which is kind of a, I think it's kind of a newer genre. I've never heard that. And until I actually you said really it. like new adult genre but um a lot of like sarah maz and um like the kind of those popular art or authors now are new adult because they have you know sex and they have gore and they have all this stuff that wouldn't be in like a 16 year old book it'd be more in like an 18 year old book um jay christoph's nevernight series is like nc17 level like writing so but with a with a young teenage girl yeah, as the young main adult character. like motivations. It's a revenge story at its like core. It's a gothic, dark revenge story. Um so reading Illuminae first, I got a taste for what I think is his writing. Um, you know, Aiden and some of that real poetic um, sentences yeah. that really stand out in this witness. book. I just oh, he's so good. And then, um, and then reading um, the Nevernight books, it definitely cemented in my mind how Jay writes, and I I really like it. I know Drew has some issues with his writing, <laughs> but I I enjoy it. Um, just because I feel like it it flows well for me. Um, it's 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 not like you're reading, you know, Wheel of Time or something where there's characters and then you have an omniscient kind of narration and then some more dialogue. It, his is more like... Mm. <laughs> See, with Jay, I feel like... I would dispute that. With Jay, I feel like it's <laughs> somehow whimsical but still heavy, which kind of it feels like an oxymoron. You know, but from mm. Drew, what I understand, you're, you're the, you like the reason you only got halfway through Nevernight is you had specific issues with uh, like the structure of his prose and the layout. Is that correct? Uh, like basic grammatical things. Like there were like random points where it would just change tense mid paragraph. I'm like, what are you doing? That's the whimsy like, I'm talking about. What are you doing though? with this? You know. You got to leave the poet unchanged, right? He likes to play around with grammar. I actually noticed that. I follow him on Facebook, and he was writing, and he had an editor make a comment like, you can't smile a sentence, because he said, like, uh, you know, a sentence, he smiled. 
and he's like, yes, you can. And he kept it. <laughs> so that's just yeah, his way yeah. of writing. I like I think. that. A hundred percent things like that. Like I d- I, I, I'm with him on that. I like that. Uh, I do. Like I like were, it too. I it's remember not were, for um, everybody. <laughs> it's very untraditional. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, like there were lines in Nevernight where where if you if you actually like break down the grammatical structure of it, it's like uh, the girl's eyes are walking mm-hmm. and things like yeah. that. Like like it's like no, that's not how that's not how sentences work. Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but mixing but up his subject, he's more able to play in that sort of a sandbox in a book like this because. It's so non-traditional in structure. It's he's not mm-hmm. writing normal prose. He's mm-hmm. writing like super weird avant-garde stuff, and especially when you get into Aiden, where it's like an insane AI. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you are, you you have the freedom to to mess around with things because you've developed a character that allows you to. Yeah, do he's, it. yeah. Oh yeah, I would actually say that Aiden is kind of an output for a lot of what uh, is just a vehicle for Jay Kristoff's voice in a lot of ways, and it's a voice that I really like. I mean, reading there's a reason that Aiden appeared as my as my like my third favorite character of all of epic fantasy and sci-fi during one of our episodes, our 100th episode mm-hmm. bonus celebration. I just I love Aiden. I love the there's something about the fact that Jay was just if I'm understanding correctly, was just completely unchained when he was getting to mm-hmm. write in the voice of Aiden. And I, there was something that I just, I love about that. You know, an author being um, able to express Aiden, anything he wants to. Aiden is kind of a narcissistic drama queen. <laughs> um, okay. He's, he's, he's a character that you can really pull out all the stops and be as dramatic as you want to be and it fits because he's like crazy um with this book the way that it's all broken up into like dossier and and chats and um you know transcripts and things i think that the authors are have a real good leeway on changing up their voice and playing around like a sandbox um it's i think it's a really great exercise for a writer to be able to how does my how does my voice sound like in a text message between two seventeen year olds? Like it's it'd be kind of fun to yeah. write like that. Yeah, it, it and it allows them to play with tense and play with point of view. Mm-hmm. You know, popping between you know first and third person, uh, popping between like past and present tense, even sometimes future tense. You know, like uh, when when you have the the third person narrator describing the the footage of Katie mm-hmm. or Ezra or whatever, you know, like there's there's a much bigger sandbox uh, mm-hmm. narratively to play in with a book like this. Yep, absolutely. My second to last style point here. I do want to talk about the humanity. The strongest quality of this book, without any doubt in my mind, is just the way that our authors play on the idea of humanity. Like, how many times we see humanity in action, whether we're expecting to or not. In Hangar Bay 4, with McCall telling Command about McNulty's injury, and they ask, is his suit intact? And then we move straight into the color of James McNulty's eyes. And you are there in this moment with the both of them, looking at one another, not daring to speak. It's just, 
other moments like like the birth of the newborn and her being named Hypatia you know mm-hmm. and the address mm-hmm. you know c- congratulating them and the opening the donation for gifts for our little stowaway as they put it the command like the commanders of the Hypatia considering leaving the Alexander behind but only amongst certain members of themselves because others have family aboard the Alexander that could risk the safety of the fleet if they heard these plans. The way that Kaufman and Kristoff just play the the inadequacies and and the emotion of humanity against itself. It's just I it's uh it hurts so much to read, but it hurts so good. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The the human emotion is by far the strongest element of this book. No. All right, my last style point. I think and this that's is a good. It's a good. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Right. I know. I realize that we're okay. 50 minutes into our episode here. This is my last style point. I promise. But with a book like Illuminate, this no is worries. just so much style to get out of the way. <laughs> uh, something we've been harping on in the past that I specifically have been harping on in the past um, that Illuminate absolutely nails is the idea of show, don't tell. The amount of emotion, the amount of context, the, even the amount of the jokes that Kaufman and Kristoff managed to communicate over something like network security incident report with Katie continuously breaking into classified areas of information and then being retaliated against or defended against. And then she's being petty, so petty as to mess with meals to network engineering canceled. And, you know, and after getting slapped down again, network engineer Shi Luei, you know, deleted from database. I, I never expected to laugh at a joke that I had to decipher yeah. that closely. But holy shit, it was funny. Mm-hmm. But also other heartbreaking moments. Intercept Osprey group and destroy. Acknowledge. Intercept Osprey group mm-hmm. and destroy. Acknowledge. And we get that five times. You're not told what's happening here. Any high school English teacher would probably tell you do not repeat the same sentence five times. But here it works because you're left to pick up the pieces yourself and you see what's happening in your head. You, you know what's happening to these people. It's just chef's kiss. It's so good. But yes, I'm ready to go into characters now. <laughs> so? Okay, who do you want to start with? I mean, we have to start with Katie, right? Okay. I, mean, I, I wasn't sure if you wanted to start with Ezra or Aiden. Uh, really? Katie works. Okay. Well, I think, I think we should start with Katie. Danielle? Agreed? I feel like Katie okay. is the main character. Yeah, like right. Capital, main capital character. Um, she's a very complex young lady. Um, you know, she's she's really thinking about her future even before the book starts. Their whole argument between her and Ezra was about she wants to leave, he wants to stay. That's why they broke up. And she's thinking about the future of the fleet by the end of the book, you know, and when she's in quarantine because she's irradiated, she's, <laughs> she's already planning ahead. Um, she's really interesting and she doesn't, I don't, I don't know if she acts like a real 17 year old or what 17 year old girls want to be. Thank you. You know, they want to be different from the rest. Oh my God, they want to be Danny. like the unique girl, who who's different from the other girls and and she goes to the football games but she's a computer nerd you're saying everything <laughs> so i wanted she's... to say but i was afraid to oh. say because i am a you know 29 year old male well, thank you so much <laughs> yes this is how i feel about so... katie even though she's my favorite character in this whole trilogy really okay um yes 
so I really like her. You are absolutely right. Uh, this is also one of the criticisms I have in this book. I knew Drew this was going to complain about this. At its heart, the tropiest that YA gets. Uh, YA, especially mm-hmm. YA spec fic, very often main character, teenage yeah. girl. And she is capital letters, you know, capitonyms, not like the other girls. Yeah. Every time. And and <laughs> it's it's become such a trope uh, that it's... You know, I've I've talked in past episodes about how tropes aren't necessarily a bad thing. This has become a bad thing. Uh, not not even in that it mm-hmm. it provides like I think a crutch for writers to um, avoid, in my mind, creating more interesting characters. Uh, but also it 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 could have some like actual real life like harmful effects on the readers. You know, like if. If you get somebody who who wants so badly to be not like the others, you know, and starts doing things, I mean, I I I knew. I'm sorry, like I knew girls like this in high school, who who wanted so badly See, to be unique that they started doing mm-hmm. unhealthy things. I have to, I and have to, uh, I have to push back just a tad. Even though I agree, <laughs> I still have. I feel like I have to, to to voice this this distinction though. Katie doesn't see herself that way completely, or at least that's how the Alexander's staff see that. Because there was this one moment during a um. Hold on, let me let, let me justify. There's this one moment during a uh, a uh, God, I can't remember the, the the technical name for it, but the Alexander's medical staff, or perhaps the the command staff, has. Uh, dossiers on each individual Carenza refugee and during their Mm -hmm. diagnosis for lack of a better word about Katie Grant they say a lot of her friends or a lot of those who knew her say she was a relatively social girl at school you know and in that moment I went really with all of these quirks she she like she was kind of social at school it's kind of hard to believe you know see I don't think those are mutually exclusive things okay fair fair by any means but she checks all the boxes. Pink hair. Yes. You know, she's she's the one who's like gotta stand out by dyeing her hair. Hey, try she's, to guess the anime she's main villain or the main nerd character. Girl. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, I know exactly the meme you're talking about. It's like the the whole like yeah, school yeah. class and everybody's got <laughs> Same like hair. black and brown hair, and then the one guy with yeah, like massive. Try and guess blue the main hair. character. Go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I absolutely get that part of it. Yeah. 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 I feel um, like and, and Katie like she... avoids that Mary Sue type just by the tiniest bit. I agree. I agree. I was considering whether I was going to call her a, a Mary Sue or not. And I was like, you know what? I kind of think by one degree she doesn't fall on that scale. Uh, yeah, I don't think I'd call her a Mary Sue. Uh, I, I don't think she's an idealized author self-insert. Mm-hmm. I do think she's an idealized reader there self-insert. There you go. There yes. you go. She she is to this book what the Master Chief is to Halo. They, she fits as many <laughs> possible a, a character, character traits for the for, fan base as she can so that they can self-insert. Sure. Yeah, a, a character that the, the target audience can step into their shoes and be like, I want to be this person. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they even list her height, her well, weight. They, they, they list... Yeah. That's kind of a... That's kind of just a part of reading YA and it's targeted to young girls for the most part, especially this kind of Mm -hmm. genre. Um, You want your reader to 
to want to be this character. You want the reader to like this character. So I'm okay with it. Um, So those are two different things. I think wanting your readers to like or or sympathize with, uh, you know, understand your character is one thing. Wanting your readers to want to be the character, that's that's something different. Um, That's that's something I haven't encountered um, outside of YA. Mm-hmm. Well, that's my I'll point. Oh, it's but it's kind like, of a part like, of YA. It's, you know, no. You think you think readers of the King Killer Chronicle want to be like a <laughs> destitute, like uh, sure scrambling. If it makes them the smarter than all their friends and, find, like, and talented, like supernaturally <laughs> talented at music and magic and <laughs> sex. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I, I mean, would never want to see him. We've had this conversation. <laughs> okay. Kvothe is Kvothe is a Mary Sue. Yeah, I would say he is yeah, too. Uh, there is a distinction there. I would I would agree with that. Yeah. But so, but that's as as we've said. That's a conversation. I'm gonna. I think um. this is gonna be my hot take for this episode about Katie because I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna rant about Katie for a little bit. I hate Katie, okay. not as a not as a character and how she's written, just as a person. You know. I think she was a great character and a great vehicle for our introduction to the first part of the series, but her actions pissed me off. I can understand mm. that she is going through some serious trauma, the likes of which I will probably and I hope never know. But she is just <laughs> so hypocritical yeah. and arrogant. Number one, she used James McNulty's disappearance and Ezra's desperation to find any information that happened to his friend to manipulate him into getting involved in some serious shit. I found myself completely agreeing with Ezra after Katie got another engineer, Stephanie Lefebvre, thrown in the brig because she was using Stephanie's login to, to access classified files, and then she also used that login to leak information to the Hypatia command staff, right? And, you know, I, I on one hand, I can see why she did it, but when Ezra confronted her, she just refuses to acknowledge that she was being the very definition of duplicitous when recruiting Ezra in the first place to do this. She took hold of Ezra's desperation and fear for his best friend to get herself access and God forbid that she actually show anything like remorse over it. She's just like, well, you know, I, I need to find a way to fight. So deal with it. I'm not to blame for this. I just had to do it because of your bosses. And Ezra is spitting at her. He's like, people got hurt because of you. And in that moment, I'm going, yes, mm-hmm. yes, you tell her, Ezra. Another time, Katie is being insanely hypocritical. Yeah. When Ezra is talking to her while fleeing from the afflicted. And he has to theoretically kill to protect himself. Katie just hammers again and again. You shoot to kill. It doesn't matter if you recognize them. They may have been your friends once, but they are not any longer. Those friends are dead. You have to protect you. But later, when she's in that exact same situation, after having to kill Charles Dorian, Ezra, well, we think it's Ezra, but we find out that it's Aiden, uh, he's trying to get her to pick up the rifle over the handgun because the handgun won't, won't save her and she's just spitting venom at him. What the f*** is wrong with you? Do you even care that I had to kill someone? It's like, I, I can't do this again. I'm just like, oh my god, you were... You, think I just... Uh, Katie is just so... I'm pretty sure that that's intentional, though. Like, that's the author's intent. You have to give your characters at oh, least yeah. something, you know... 
wrong unless they then they would go into real Mary Sue's status. I like, suppose, but th- th- if again, Katie didn't have these issues, she would be in That's the distinction I made at the beginning. I think she was a great character in terms of how she was written. She's just a horrible person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? I just I hated yeah, Katie. I hated This is how I feel about a certain character in the Wheel of Time. Ooh. We'll have to talk about that after this then. <laughs> But yeah, that's I just I don't uh, like. We, we've, I we don't talked about like it on the hundredth uh, celebration episode. But you know, I I um I can understand uh, in the latter of the situations that you brought up. Like, there's one thing you know, typing from behind a keyboard, telling mm-hmm. somebody else something. She's being rational about it. It's another thing entirely. Being in a literal horror movie life or death situation, where like. Who knows what you're going to, or how you're going to react to that situation. What you Mm. will be able to make yourself do. I cut her a little bit of slack on that end. Mm. On the other end, you know, (gasps) what you brought up first, I completely agree with you. Um, You know, her her manipulation of people, her Mm -hmm. total callousness as to the consequences of her actions. Um, None of it's her fault. None of it's her fault. Like... So this is one of the two like major reasons why when I read this book the first time, I enjoyed reading it, but I didn't have any desire to read on. And it was because Katie, as like the major character, I just didn't really care about her that much. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, like oh, you should read on. Gonna, this is where I'm with Danny. Be like, you got to read are, on. Because... There are outstanding... <laughs> emotional beats with her character but it was and this is hard to describe um some of my favorite moments in the whole book are with katie and Mm -hmm. and major character moments for her but it's like i only cared in those moments Mm -hmm. outside of them i was like "Eh." i think that's a testament to the Uh, power of the author's voice yeah really I can't quite put my finger on why why I should care so much in in these select moments and outside of them I couldn't care less about her like I I, I don't I don't fully have a handle on it when when you were talking there I think it's I I just remembered one last thing that pissed me off about Katie I'll get my bitching done about Katie right after this I promise. <laughs> When she finds out what happened to James McNulty, but she holds that information hostage over Ezra. Of course, she lets him know that she knows, but promise me you won't do anything dumb. You know, which is terrifying to hear when you're someone's best friend. But then continuing to hammer that point after he, even after he agrees, you have to mean it. Not just say what you need to say, thereby increasing the anxiety. And then, of course, she finds a way to make it about her. When he goes, listen, I, I, like, he was there for me when I was at my worst, when I didn't even know who I was as a person. She goes, well, he was there for you when I wasn't. That's what you mean. She, of course, she has to turn that around and make it about her. Like, oh, my God. And, of course, even after he gets around that, she still needs to hold it off for just one moment longer to get his promise that he won't do anything stupid. I just, I hated, she treated it like a, like a bit of power that she had over him. I hated her so much in this moment. Every instant that she put off telling him what she knew, 
was damaging to their relationship. That would drive me as a young man to fearing for the life of my best friend and knowing that there was some information to have and being denied that information. I like, I was incensed. To say I was incensed would be an understatement. I just, I was just, oh my god. Sorry, that's it. That's the end of my bitching about Katie. Sorry, that's, <laughs> but I, that's really interesting though because I didn't pick up on that at all when I read it. But maybe it's because I'm also a girl, a woman, whatever. Because I understand, like, when you're in a relationship with a guy, usually you think, like, oh, this guy's going to go all macho after I tell him something. And I want him to be rational. So she's trying to protect him in a way by being overprotective. That came across. But this is an additional layer deeper. Yeah. I see that. That's like... I have, like, my best friend who is also in the military and whose name is also James and he's in the Air Force. If uh, if he went missing and, I like, somebody had told me they'd mm-hmm. found him, but they were holding that information hostage just to get me to agree to something, that would make me mm-hmm. hate them for the rest of my life. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, can, I can see that. Yeah, it is fair. That's a very personal but subjective But I would thing. like to also say, Katie... And Aiden and their connection is because she's like a mini girl human version of him. She's manipulating people to her ends. And her ends are, you know, the good of the fleet, just like Aiden. And Aiden is just not quite human enough to to really be able to grasp what Katie's aim is and Katie is not quite machine enough to understand that Aiden is trying to do his That's best. That's a very good point. So they really work well That's together, I think. Point. I mean, she ma- manipulates uh, everything. She goes to Sira's house or not house, her, but her little her like quarters there. Yeah. Quarters. Um, she goes there and like, you know, breaks in yeah. and, and threatens Sira and, and waltzes in here and there. And Aiden does the same thing. That's like that's a really good point. I did not pick up on that at all, but then now that you mention it, you kind of blew my mind a little bit. Yeah, there's definitely a parallel there. Though I would push back a little on the motivations. I think Katie is more self-interested because mm. she reaches a point where she's like nothing matters, everything's gone. Only Ezra is left. He's mm-hmm. all I care about. I'll do yes. anything to get him back and I don't care. Yeah, um, there was she reaches this break. Yeah, there was point. one line. Well, Sira says something like yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. In that in that in that Yeah, scene and then only when she's manipulated into uh believing that Ezra's dead does she say, "Okay, yes, I'm going to do everything I can to yeah. save." There's mm-hmm. in their in her exchange with Sira Bowl in Sira's chambers there, when Sira tells her uh she was like, "Look, I know we all have people on the Alexander, Mm -hmm. all right? And then Katie Mm -hmm. cuts her off and says, I don't have people. I have a person. I wanted to scream at her and say, that was the wrong thing to say because now Sira has just completely judged your entire motivation. Like, that was the dumbest thing you could have said, even if it was a journal entry. She also has a journal entry where she talks about this concept from, like, the therapist saying, like, you know, things don't matter, yeah. people matter. Yeah, yep, and, yep. And she's, like, going, breaking down, like, how she mm-hmm. she doesn't own anything. Like, she doesn't even own the clothes on her back Requisitioned. Or, or the room, the bed yep. she's sleeping in. Yeah, yeah. So, like, um, 
and and it's again like it's really good writing it's it's a really good way to like push this character to the brink to break them to to have them hit this low point from which they can rebuild themselves and grow in in a proper like climax you know mm-hmm. uh and and it's it's well done but but she does she does take that first step on pretty selfish motivations yeah i agree <laughs> yeah that said um i will you know what i can't say that never mind sorry go ahead um i'm done well, talking well, about I, I do want to point out though like I love the parallel, Danny, that you made between uh, Aiden and Katie and in how they like they're they start in, in very different positions, but because they they kind of operate similarly, they grow like mm-hmm. more closely aligned as Aiden becomes more human and Katie becomes like almost less human as the mm-hmm. book goes yeah. on. They they uh, more manipulative, more desperate. Uh, that they they ultimately like align at the end of the yeah, book. Yeah, personality wise, that is a uh, sorry. Go ahead. I thought you were done. Like like they start as foils and become parallels. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. They're very very alike in a lot of ways, but each has something that the other, you know, each possesses something that the other one lacks, and so there's still more reason. There's still a lot more to draw between the two of them. It, it's really fascinating to watch. And Drew, I cannot wait for you to cover the rest of the series. But <laughs> I'm done talking about Katie so, for now. I I would like to continue talking about Aiden, um, and maybe even Katie's relationship because Drew, you said you didn't pick up on any kind of romantic tension between them at all. No, uh, I didn't see any romance there. I did see a, like, a desperation mm-hmm. um, for connection, but I didn't see it in any romantic sense. I can see why so, he loves her. You didn't see it even there? Yeah. But, I mean, love has many different, you know... It's true, yeah. Like, certainly um, nothing I, from Katie to Aiden. Oh, yeah. He's in machine. I uh, definitely yeah. noticed it more after he started posing as Ezra. Um, Ezra had sent Katie all these ASCII images and poems mm-hmm. and a heart and a, you know, a rose. Aiden kind of emulates Ezra's moments like when he's trying to be all romantic and he's doing it not not just when he's pretending to be Ezra but even when he's describing Katie's actions like Ezra had quoted um, Lord Byron's poem she walks in beauty like the night and if Mm -hmm. you look at every part that Aiden is talking about what Katie is doing he starts it with a, a line like that poem she works in silence she walks she walks um you know out in in holy space like when she's in her space suit every instance that he's describing her it starts out like that lord byron poem and that's when i was listening to it and you can hear the cadence of his voice when he's when he's speaking about her it sounds like he's writing a poem about her and that's when I really picked up the romance in the audiobook versus reading it in the hardcover. I think cover. you blew my f-ing mind again, Danny. I don't have to see that. So that that reminds me, um, you know, to not spoil anything, but that reminds me of the King Killer Chronicle where mm-hmm. Kavoth 
you know, every time he talks to a certain character, he he speaks in sentences of a certain number oh, of words. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Oh, do not equate this yeah. with that. It's it's really, it's, it is similar to that. And you you as a reader want to pick up on these little cues, but the, the characters are not. This is all for us. This is for our enjoyment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we want to see this tension between characters. And that's... That's why I said the audiobook has a different layer than the hardcover because I didn't pick up on it reading the hardcover, but listening to it, oh yeah, yeah. it's definitely there. It's intentional. I can the, tell it's intentional. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I, I just read it as um, Aiden trying to learn humanity and mm-hmm. recognizing like love as an aspect of humanity that he mm-hmm. cannot grasp, or love. And so he's like. Trying to figure it out less than like, oh, there's a romantic, an actual romantic interest here. Mm-hmm. I don't no, know. I, 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 because he he goes on and on again talking about all the, the the countless lives that that he knows and all the personnel that have been lost and how he how he knows what they whisper in their sleep and he's read their their logs and he knows some of them better than they, than even they know themselves. Then he stops to to question himself: Why does this one hurt? Why does the thought of Katie dying hurt? He he's really exploring mm-hmm. that inside himself. And that bit of humanity that he refuses to acknowledge inside of himself. Like, I just, I, I got so much of that almost romance in that, the exploration mm-hmm. of that question in the first place. And everything that Aiden said, uh, again, with the, I can see why he loves her. And even, even like kind of petty moments. At one point, he tries to make a joke. He dry, tries to you know, in his words, engage in levity. And, and Katie is mm-hmm. just not having it. And he, Aiden says, you would laugh if it was Ezra. Mm-hmm. You know, like I just... And he also talks a little poorly of Ezra. He calls him, you know, the meat. And he says, yeah. you know, when, when he's almost envious of Ezra's piloting abilities. Yeah. Oh, like oh, he's... Ezra you know, has at one point, pictures he says, in his mind. He admits he's envious. He's like, I, in, yeah. in this moment, I mm-hmm. envy him. I think it's during one of Ezra's battles. And he even says, I wish I had hands to yeah, hold her. Yeah, never before have I felt the like, lack of hands with which to touch or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Felt so keenly. I mean, just... maybe romance is, the ba- is not a good word for this because he's not romancing Katie. He's just experiencing an intense attraction to her and he doesn't know why because he's an AI. Fair. He's programmed. Kind of like a young adult. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, An intense attraction well, no, that you can't explain. He, he, like, like, I definitely picked up on the, the, like, fascination with her and the desire to, um, like, have a human connection with her and learn how to have a human connection. I just, I guess I didn't see it in that, like, to be really semantic. Romantic. Romance, framework. right. Sure, sure. That's yeah. Fair. Okay. Yeah. Especially because there was there was zero reciprocation, uh, you know, reciprocation <laughs> or even awareness on Katie's part. Yeah. yeah, you know, to to make it a a proper YA love triangle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but but that that is uh, that is interesting, and and I have to admit that makes me wonder if there's going to be something more love triangle-y in the future of this trilogy now. No spoilers. <laughs> no spoilers. But rest easy, Drew, I will say yeah, that. Yeah. I'm actually really curious to see what you think of the second Do book you... because the second book is... Mm. The second book is the best <laughs> of the three. I have thoughts. <laughs> the second book is the best of the three. You really it's think so? Oh my god. It's really funny. Why? It is really good. <laughs> 
but it has one of my least favorite characters. <laughs> but Give we'll me talk a, about I that. Want, I want a hint now. Oh god. Episode. Okay. All right. Is she blonde? I'll text um. it to you. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about Ezra. Okay. Yes. Uh, I don't have as much to say about Ezra, uh, but he he was probably of the three main characters. He was the closest I came to like being invested in a character. Uh and then it was kind of undercut when it was revealed that it wasn't him for like a significant chunk of the book. And and that, you know, that was another that ties back to the, the thing with Katie where I was like, I didn't care enough about the characters to like really want to keep reading. I may have had that rug not been pulled out from under my feet. I do think that plot point was excellently done don't get me wrong but but it also did damage to Ezra's character development and and so I was like well darn you know Mm -hmm. yeah I mean Ezra was a character that I like just like you drew big surprise that I identified with a lot more you know I was also a teenage boy at one point in time I still act like one in many ways in most ways perhaps uh, I found Ezra to be a far more relatable person. He's just so awkward and honest, and he is trying to do his best. Th- that moment during the security footage, I think, is my favorite scene of his, after Katie manages her borderline professional espionage and blowing a kiss to the system that she's just hacked. <laughs> Jumping now to Ezra, panicking and sweating, and going, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, and he's barely <laughs> staying out of the sight of the guards by mere luck in some cases. Such and a the good way that scene. analyst ID seven two one three just you know describes his half baked kung fu kick in total silence at the backs of one of the sec teams that almost caught him, as if <laughs> promising him an ass whooping the next time he sees them, you know. And then five minutes later, nearly shitting himself as he rounds a corner and almost bumps straight back into that same team. It's just it, there's so much gold with Ezra Mason. I found him to be the most human of all the characters. I think. <laughs> It's so, so funny. I, your I, your impressions of the characters are so different from really? mine. Because <laughs> I guess because I, I, I was a teenage girl and not a teenage <laughs> boy. <laughs> Drew, go ahead. I don't know. Like I didn't relate to Ezra. I didn't. I you didn't, didn't feel that like kinship that it seems you did, Rob. No, because uh, I wasn't that guy. Like mm. that wasn't me as a teenager. Dude, that was. Oh my um, god, you're a jock, right? I like. Oh my! Just I'm so. Go ahead. I was weird. I didn't like. You were a Katie. At the risk of sounding, <laughs> at the risk of sounding like a YA trope, um, I didn't fit in. Like it took me a while to find like my friend group because I played hockey, and you know, like I played like varsity hockey and stuff. But the interests a lot of the hockey players had didn't interest me. But I was also a hockey player, so a lot of the, like, nerds and video game kids and things, they weren't interested at all in in the hockey side. And so, like, I, I ended up finding kind of an eclectic friend group. And, like, I, I met these guys when I was 16. They are still to this day, like, my closest friends in the world. <laughs> because, like, eventually we, we, like, kind of all found each other based on more than just, like, a passing hobby in, in high school. Um, 
But so, like, I definitely was not, like, Ezra. No, I was <laughs> I was Ezra Mason in high school. Just as, like, as a person in personality. Like, as, as a person in personality. There's my, my magnificently articulate sentence of the day. But, like, I don't know. I just... Uh, I, I found Ezra to be so related. I could, as such a self-insert character. I loved it so much. That the, the young part of myself, the young adult that still resides, that still lives somewhat inside of me, really identified with that character so like Ezra Mason is just I love that guy he's awesome so I have to preface this with I like Ezra I really do like him as a character in this book but as a a former adolescent girl Ezra is a big dope (laughs) he's a big gorilla guy and obviously he has this pattern recognition he's very athletic he he's, he's really good at fighting fighter piloting whatever i mean it's very obvious in even some of the scenes when they're in their cyclones or whatever it's called and they're shooting and Ezra is the one who's who gets them and and all this stuff uh-huh. But Ezra himself is a, such a dope. He's, like, he's so goofy. Like, I would have, in, in high school, if I saw an Ezra, I'd be like, wow, that guy is really dumb. Well, <laughs> Even was, if he's not, I would just think that. Was that was what Katie <laughs> admitted to thinking as soon as she met him, right? Like, they talked, yes, yeah, that, that's exactly. how she thought he was, you know? You got to get to know Ezra. These guys are, you know, they're still people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no, I I really like him. He really proved himself in this real intense situation that normal humans don't go through. Um, you know, real humans just, don't really go through. I these so badly want to see that half baked kung fu kick in total silence <laughs> over a, a really staticky sort of CCTV camera. You know, I just I was so. Uh, He's such a He's goof. Such a goof. I love him. Even like making yeah. jokes that but are just like, for I, himself. I just that's I love it. That's why I was invested in him, you know, before the reveal because he he was a dynamic character. Uh, I think he was dynamic in in a more satisfying way than Katie was uh, because mm-hmm. her her dynamism in the narrative was tropier than than mm-hmm. Ezra's. Um, and especially like, oh, if like, I, I would never ask for them to not have that reveal that like it was actually Aiden, mm. but had it actually been Ezra, he would have been a fascinating character, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it's, it's this sort of, you know, narrative give and take that you have to deal with, with this book, but, uh, he he had the most interesting character arc for me in the book. Yeah, and and something that just occurred to me while you're saying that, Aiden admits, you know, a few times that there are still subtleties, human subtleties that he cannot grasp. But these moments where mm-hmm. he got the chance to improvise, he mm-hmm. fucking nailed it. That's a scary thing yeah. too, AI improvising. Yeah. He nailed yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> but um yeah, so that's it. pretty much everything I have for like uh, you know main you know series characters. Anything else about like other characters like Siravol, David Torrens, James McNulty, Ooh, Winifred McCall? I I really liked those side characters. Oh my god! Um, David Torrens is this perfect military An man officer, character. Like it, they nailed it with yeah. him. 
um, you know, Aiden said we would play chess and he would lose every time and he still wanted With to Mozart play. Mozart in the background that, and single malt that, scotch in his hand. Like, yeah. painted him in my mind. Like, I, I could see, like, Captain Picard kind of guy. Um, and and Sira Bull is so out of her depth in her new role. And that is great, too. Like, she's got some issues. But you, didn't they say that she had a double degree yeah, in so, theology? Yeah. She's and... a theoretical um, yeah. astrophysics and, um, mm-hmm. oh, my God. God damn it. Theology. I'm pretty it sure theology. it was theology. Yeah. 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 And so she's she's all about the theory, and I, <laughs> and now she's pushed into this situation, really difficult situation, as you know, the new head of Hypatia. Oof. That's she's a that's great a fascinating too. combination. That's what that's what Aiden says. It's like that's such a fascinating combination, mm-hmm. and I will say that that's one sort of line that sort of pulled me out of the narrative a little bit because I went, oh, well, that's excellent character development, and I wonder if I'm going to see her in the future. <laughs> That kind of pulled me out a little bit. But yeah, everything you said about her is, is totally correct. David Torrens, I just, that character was, again, I don't, I can't say I like him as a person, but as a character and as a, as a, a authorial tool, he's just, oh, so good. James McNulty. I still haven't brought up James McNulty and there's a reason for that. I'm saving this for the end. Yeah. And Winifred McCall. I do have to say my girl, Winifred McCall. First Lieutenant oh, awesome. Winifred McCall. Yeah. She is just Nope, not anymore. <laughs> Former First Lieutenant yep. Winifred McCall. X. Yeah. X. <laughs> uh, I uh, I'm it. surprised neither of you mentioned Byron. Oh, oh damn! Yes. Sit you, know what, you know what occurred to me today? <laughs> when I first started reading this novel, I like physically I was Ezra Mason, and now reading this novel, physically I am Byron Jong. <laughs> That occurred to me it. in this episode when Aiden was describing his run down the hall and he's like 10 years out of date in the last time that he willingly ran and that he's like 27 to 29 and he weighs about 200 kilo, or 100 kilos. And I was like, holy <laughs> I have seriously, I've gone from one character to the next. I am now this guy. I think <laughs> well, I think that's kind of... Like the way that we all are like, oh yeah, him. That's probably what he dealt with that's his whole because life. Because when I first you know, being started this novel, I, the way I looked at Byron Jong was so different to the way I look at him now. You know? But you know, he's he's kind of a superhero in this book. You know, he goes over there and sacrifices his life. I mean, obviously he goes over there against his will. Um, but you know, he's, he's in the core and he's yeah. chopping at Aiden with or an axe. how, uh, McCall described him, you know, not fighting, just resisting, mm-hmm. you know, just, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a great so many good character. character moments with this guy and his, the final lines with Aiden, you know, as he's, as he re- starts to come to, and he realizes what he's doing. And there's that line that I swear to God, again, I think is a Jay Kristoff line with his heart and his fear in his eyes. Mm-hmm. He dove his hand. He he drove his hand into those uh, electrical cords, and it was just like, oh my god. Yeah, you're right. I'm also very surprised that I didn't actually write down anything about Byron Jong too. Yeah, yeah. He's he's a really fascinating side character uh, that I I wish we could get more of going forward. But uh, he had a pretty poetic ending. He did a very poetically <laughs> yeah. appropriate ending. Yeah. God, this beer that i'm drinking is is starting to hit so i'm I'm done with characters um i'm ready to go into miscellaneous and quotes just 
things I want to bring up. Any th other, other characters you guys want to discuss? Shall we go into our miscellaneous points? I'm good to move on. Drew? Let's do it. Do I hear a hey yeah? All right. Uh, I'll start us off, I guess. Uh, just ra random miscellaneous point. Moment of cringe. <laughs> um, something I just totally did not buy from Ezra Mason's point of view near the beginning of the book. There was this girl, Jody Kingston. She, wow. And then the interviewer goes, what? And Ezra says, I just realized she was the first girl I ever kissed. I wrote, bullshit. No 17-year-old kid is ever going <laughs> to suddenly remember who his first kiss was. I call bullshit on that. It's too sappy. It's yeah, too forced. Yeah. Nuh-uh from me. I told you, it was going to be yeah, stupid. Like, I get it's... what they were going for with that, yep. but it wasn't worded right. Like, yep. like if, if, if he said, there's this girl, Jody Kingston, and then stops and goes, wow, and they're like, what? And he goes, she was the first girl I ever kissed. I would buy that much more than him saying, I just realized. It's yeah. like, no, you did not just realize. <laughs> not just. Yeah, you didn't just realize. You're 17 years absolutely old. This knows. was recent enough that yeah, it's like, still a standing thing in your memory. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm 30. I still, like, on the, you know. Right. I'm 29. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking 30 right tell in the you, face. Like, exactly the circumstances of the first girl I ever kissed it, and, like, how it happened. Right. You know? Exactly. <laughs> yep. Well, it was probably a lot sooner for him than for a 30-year-old. Right, but we still remember well, right, being that's 17. Like, that's even, the point. even I remember vividly. Dude, I'll tell you what. <laughs> and, I, and my, my artistic yes. skills, Danielle, I envy you your, your artistic skills so much. <laughs> I could not draw a, a stick figure so much as a, as a, as a fish, <laughs> right? You wouldn't be able to tell a difference. But in terms of the, what I would have like the most chance of being able to draw because of how vividly I remember it, being 17 years old, exactly, and in that position, it's still there. Like, you don't just suddenly remember that at 17 years old. You're just, that's just, it, mm, <laughs> fuck off. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right. I told, it was a dumb, stupid right, thing. Right. Uh, other miscellaneous points? I'll let one of you guys uh, serve up. Well, I drink some I water. I only have one, one more, and I, I kind of want to go last because... Uh... Because it's gonna be this is my like this, big hot take. This is the scorching uh, that take. I'm okay, sure is gonna get some. Danny, some uh, discussion. How many like guys. miscellaneous points do you have? Because I've got like um, seven or eight here. But if you've got a few, I'll let you take one off right now. You know, <laughs> I know you said that you really liked the you know drunk email and uh -oh. stuff. I was never a big drinker or anything, so I really rolled my eyes at Ezra's. Ooh. It's a celebration. I'm... <laughs> you said yeah, that in the exact I mean, same maybe intonation as true. the audiobook, too. I can tell that you've yeah, read that well, as I many just times as I have. To it. Yep. <laughs> I was, I even wrote, I have a post it note here. I said, voice acting drunk during the drunk email. So goofy. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, he's got to definitely get that point across. And on the, I guess, on the yeah. subject. But I mean, it fits, it fits Ezra, the yeah. goof. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just, just so Danny knows, our last episode that we were doing, Drew, this would have been Water Sleeps Part 2 for The Black Company, uh, Book 9. It's the same audiobook mm -hmm. narrator as Ezra Mason. McLeod huh. Andrews. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I love McLeod Andrews, but he definitely does have that youthful exuberance. He's got that very... <laughs> Almost obnoxious, but definitely immature sort of voice. If he wants to employ it, it's just 
So he's perfect for Goblin. Oh my, no, Goblin and especially <laughs> One-Eye because of the hard Scottish bite and Sleepy as, as a regular character. But yeah, McLeod Andrew is awesome. Like I would want to like seriously just hang out with this guy for a day and be like, dude, explain this to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Next miscellaneous point that I have, uh, the end of chapter five, the audiobook at least. Um, oh, we get this briefing note on unit. There are chapters? They separate all the different dossiers into chapters. It's very short, like two to five minute chapters. Right. I didn't even realize that there weren't chapters at this point. Yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'll just there explain what chapters. it was. The yeah. briefing note <laughs> on Unipedia, this sort of in-world wiki that loosely tries to explain the start of the series. Um, it, it went on right near the end. For even more information on the occupation of Heimdall Station and the resistance movement, see subarticles. What's up, Danny? You know what I'm talking about. Drew, welcome to book two. I just want to tease you a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For for Gemina, for book two, my favorite um, book, we're heading to Heimdall Station to see what's happening there while and then after Illuminae is happening. So I want to, I'm just so excited to get you on that one. Oh, yeah. The okay. books, yeah, the trilogy, without being spoily or anything, they're all happening around the same time. It's not like one after okay, the yeah. other. But yeah. they do also all continue forward together in yes. in Gemina and book two you will see what's happening mm-hmm. on Heimdall station at that waypoint mm-hmm. um yeah that's a good point that it, there is a lot of foreshadowing in yeah. this which you won't pick up on obviously and there's a little until more foreshadowing to. I'm going to get to later in our miscellaneous in a few minutes but yeah we're going to Heimdall station for for book two and we will continue past like there will be that... some forward for both yeah for for everyone Sure. Uh, that is actually good to hear because this will tie into my uh, uh, my miscellaneous. Point <laughs> Your scorching take. Uh, I actually do have one one miscellaneous point. Oh, okay. One miscellaneous point. The school is named after me. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's, I mean, obviously, McCaffrey. it's not named after me, but McCaffrey High. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I always like it, and, and for some reason. You're gonna I, get... I don't know what the connection is here, but like the last two YA science fiction series I've had, I've had McCaffrey uh, feature <laughs> in it, uh, Skyward and, and this. So, yep, Roger McCaffrey and McCaffrey High. Yep. Mm. Um, you do not so. fuck the Alexander. The Alexander fucks you. I just I don't know what it was about that line. <laughs> I loved it. I'm telling you, every. F- Miscellaneous point that I have is going to be stupid going from this point forward. Drew, take it away. So, uh, or or Danny, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, there. no, no. Go there for were it. a lot of really, there were a lot of really amusing points where uh, because they censor the curse words, <laughs> you can kind of be creative with what's underneath it. And mm-hmm. there were there were several points where there were multiple different four letter words that would have fit. And I'm like, <laughs> hmm, which one's the best? You know? <laughs> yeah. It doesn't leave it as much up to interpretation in the audiobook because yeah. they pronounce the yeah. first and last oh, letter of, of the yeah. words. You do not, you do not but, yeah, yeah. but yes, I, I totally understand what you mean. I'm like, wait, what are they saying I was saying flipping through here? the physical before, and I was surprised to see that, yeah. Um, yeah, I had a, a post-it note on almost the very first page. I think it was page eight or something. Um, <laughs> when Katie's like... Uh, Ezra turned on the radio. For a second, I thought the idiot was looking for the right soundtrack or something, but there was an emergency broadcast. And then it immediately switches to 
the interview yeah. with Ezra. And Ezra's like, yeah, I turned on the radio to maybe find some getaway music. I love music. this. <laughs> I was cracking up laughing. That joke was so good. That is like so my and humor. It's so well-timed. It's perfect. I'll tell you this, a crazy coincidence. <laughs> I have a series of, I can't believe I'm going to admit this. I have a series of extremely cringy YouTube videos from late 2011. I think it would have been. So four years, five years before this book came out where I had pretty much that exact same joke. There was a character. I was, this is back when I was uh, machinimating halo characters in a single large map. And I had one character who was being chased in a warthog very, very quickly and evading fire. He stops and the camera zooms in and the music that I had inserted in post changed to something else. And there's some, another character that goes, did he just stop in the middle of a situation like that to change the music? Like, like, you're you're exactly right. When you say that's your kind of comedy, that is exactly my kind of comedy. I <laughs> cracked up. That was probably the moment that hooked me and the moment that made me think, okay, I'm going mm -hmm. to finish this book regardless of what I hear. Like, it yeah. was so early to the beginning and so, or I should say so close to the beginning and still so funny that it made me go, okay, I will stick this through. So I also loved it. All right. Okay. A few more miscellaneous then. <laughs> well. Oh, sorry. Oh, no. You still have your scorching take to get out of the way. Oh, boy. <laughs> I want... Okay. I will say bring I mean, it I, on. You may be building this up too much, but... <laughs> well, yeah. But uh, it, it's the hottest take I have. Well, your okay. first one I agreed with. <laughs> We're so, ready. Let's hear it. <laughs> okay. So... I, I, as I said, I, I've read this book once before, and I was curious to read it again to see if I had the same impression coming out of it as I did the first time, and I did. And that mm -hmm. is, I have zero desire to read on with the series at the end <laughs> of reading. Like, like if we if we weren't doing it for the podcast, I would not have read the next book. And it's all because of the denouement and the setup but now i know like thank thank you rob that it's not a direct sequel it's a parallel story that is much more interesting to me than the narrative going forward what? was in in uh in the letter at the end of the book where where we get the reveal that uh frobisher is ezra's mom and and that there's this you know illuminate group that katie's founded mm -hmm. and and all of, like, I, I was like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> wow, you just, you did blow my, I, I like, like, I did not care. I, I'm so glad you <laughs> say like, that, but I also hate you. All the most interesting you. parts of this book, all the most interesting parts of this book already got, like, dealt with and resolved. Up. Like, okay, that's yeah. a good point. That is a good point. Yeah, and, and I'm like, I don't, I don't really care about the the like greater corporate war going on and and yeah. this freedom of information group that Katie's founded and and like there wasn't enough development about uh Ezra's mother for me to care about what happens there I like yeah. I I enjoy the book I wow. give this book 4 out of 5 stars oh, okay Both times I read you were absolutely right I, but I had no desire to read on I think after you <laughs> phrase it that way I agree with everything you said it would have blown my mind <laughs> If you had, if you hadn't, you know, uh, justified it, because 
this is a problem that I had with one of the Black Company books, and it was like, oh, this is not going forward. This is just retreading the same point in time from a different character's point of view. I hate that. I absolutely normally hate that. Uh, so the fact that you can well, say that no, 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 that no, no, is no. what makes this uh, like interest you about the future, it's like, holy crap, interesting. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, like, I'd rather read a different story of, like, you know, be- because there could still be, like, that uh, that suspense where, right. like, it- the characters have no idea what's going on anymore. The characters have all the answers at the end of this yeah, book. Yeah, you're right. That's mm-hmm. why I agree with you. <laughs> and so... Yeah, <laughs> I'm, like, and, rubbing my hands together. I know so it's like, not on a microphone, but... <laughs> well, well... To, to somebody who, who has just read this book, as far as I know, the characters have all the answers. And it's like, all right, mm-hmm. I there there wasn't enough of a hook set for me at the end of this book. Had they done something, and I don't know how you would do it in this kind of epistolary context, had they done something to indicate, next up, we're going to find out what happened on Heimdall Station. Mm-hmm. I would have been way more interested in going on than I was so, reading the final pages of Illuminae. So I I get it, and I actually felt quite similarly uh, when I first read the book, because I really have strong first impressions of this book because it made such an impact on me. Um, when I finished it, I was like, oh, I have no idea how they're going to follow this up. And then I started thinking about, like, what was that big black smoke on Carenza? What is Baytech actually going after why how did they make this this disease this uh, phobos virus and and that's what drew oh, me see, on that's I what I was like the smoke that was like the phobos virus <laughs> oh no it was it, they described it as some kind of like strange black smoke and stuff so that well, kind yeah, of those, yeah, I just thought that those was like questions that was early the phobos on? virus that was phobos alpha that was yeah. phobos alpha they weren't anticipating because the Phobos beta is the yeah, one that they infected yeah, everybody uh, and mutated. Uh, Phobos <laughs> alpha was just you know a civilian population control, uh, but Phobos yeah. beta is the one mm-hmm. that mutated from it. The one you know Baytex accident, but it's still their fault, right? I do right. very much agree that Leanne Frobisher was not a compelling antagonist sure. yeah. at all. No. I feel like she was no. this mom who just wants to prove herself to her kid kind of thing because. Yeah. I don't know. She just didn't seem very threatening, um, especially when very... Katie has gotten all of this huge document about everything that was going on. Like at the end there, yeah, yeah, just uh, very much a caricature kind of like. Mm-hmm. I, don't, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, um... and and on the um, on the audiobook, she sounds like one of the Rugrats. Moms, yeah, she does. The lawyer and Angelica's mom. Yeah, I was just... mom. Yeah, I was go, she does. <laughs> <laughs> so it, you it really enforces in that a, that she's in a, like in this a two-piece goofy... suit smoking a cigarette. That's yeah. how you picture her with a ponytail. Yeah, yeah. just not a night. Nice, yeah. <laughs> um, wow, wow. Yeah, so you definitely n- n- hit the nail on the head with that hot take. No, no, no I uh, <laughs> I, I agree with both of Drew's hot takes. I would well, I yeah. would have railed against the second if he hadn't <laughs> contextualized it. But you're totally right. A lot of the main plots a lot of the main questions a lot of the main investments that you have are indeed wrapped up by the end of this book and so even though 
that's normally what I look for in the next book of a series to go forward with the with the chronological narrative. It what you just said kind of makes me retract a little bit and go, oh yeah, but he's totally right. In this case, I wouldn't have wanted, you know, a sequel to Katie and Ezra's story and Aiden's story. Mm-hmm. I the fact that it's just so alien to me to consider the fact that retreading chronologically something else that happened from someone else's point of view could be something to look forward to. It just, it's so alien to me, but knowing how it works out in the future, having read this whole series, I just, I can't wait to see knowing now that you're excited about it, Drew, what you think of the next books. Number, uh, like I said, number, not, I don't want to hype it up too much. Number two is my favorite. It's <laughs> yeah. so, uh. <laughs> Another thing I think just to continue on with, you know, what draws you to the next, to read the next book if I was 17 or, you know, young adult age and reading this book, I would have never experienced a book like this before. And knowing that there's a sequel in the similar style with all these different, um, you know, voices and text messages and things, that would be really exciting for me. And that's actually what made me really want to read the next yeah. book. It's interesting. Yeah. It's unique. We had to hide. Absolutely. All like if, if I were a different person, I probably would have been more interested. But like <laughs> the point in my life Not when so I well read, read this book, <laughs> yep. like, yeah, I'd already read a book like this. I'd already read House yes. of Leaves. You know, I'd, <laughs> yes. I, I was already the kind of reader who's like not only digging in and analyzing the book, but also digging into like my reactions to the book and trying to figure out why did I think this? What do I want out of this? You know, and and that's like, I mean at a certain point, you know, when, when I stepped into, you know, the one literature, uh, like, uh, it was called literary history of the present. And, and basically we read a bunch of like speculative fiction books from at the time, Mm. the last 15 years. And this was in 2011. And my professor said, I'm about to ruin reading popular fiction for (laughs) you. He kind of did like, yeah. (laughs) So, Yeah. I don't really approach books so analytically. I like to read them and enjoy them and feel them and then look back on what I think. And these kinds of conversations, like with you two, um, or with the Shardcast crew Shard. that I've mm-hmm. um, also talked talk to, um, that kind of thing really excites me because I can see what other people think about them. So I don't read books the same way you do, Drew. <laughs> Yeah, and and to me, like a really really good book is one that can get me to flip that switch off. Ooh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a good. That's a good way of of kind of deciding on you know you know your star rating of a book. <laughs> that's really good. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I've been so in love with um, uh, the Garrett Pi books by Glenn Cook because mm-hmm. they've been they've been good enough where I can just. Even though they're like, they're mysteries, right? It's like detective fantasy noir, like a Harry Dresden, you know. Um, They're like tailor-made for you to try to figure out what's going on. And I am able to just be like, no, I'm just going to read it and enjoy it because they're (laughs) that fun. And I'm I'm also not embarrassed to be reading this YA book because sometimes like with coworkers or my parents or something, I'm like, oh, I'm not reading YA. I'm reading this, you know, I'm reading classics. I'm reading Moby Dick or, you know, whatever. <laughs> but with this book, I'm like, no, you need to read yeah. this. This is good. This is some advanced stuff <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah, I do like it. 
and and there were moments in this book where I was able to kind of like turn it off. Um, uh, we'll, we'll get, get to, to those. those. I know we'll get to those. I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. Um, and while we're still very, very loosely on book two, the subject, and for uh, uh, particularly for Drew, I want to say this too, you know, having not read the next two books, note that some of the symptoms of the Phobos beta virus, as listed in the medical notes from the Copernicus staff, they resemble the symptoms of, and I quote, long-term dust addicts. So dust is an yes. in-universe psychoactive substance. It's referred to... Well, even some okay. of the characters say, are you yes, dusted? Yes, it's referred to it's, many times. Yeah, that's a, that's exactly what I wrote next. Some characters asking, are you dusted? Mm-hmm. As if to say, are you insane? Apparently, our Phobos virus right. affects the human brain in a very similar way that this dust does. Remember this as you go into book two. I'm going to talk about this more then. Just All saying. Right. A very okay. obnoxious. Rob's laying wink. the seeds. Rob Rob gets to play Drew's yeah. Drew's role. Drew's role on, on all of the exciting. black mummy. Oh my goodness! I finally get to rehearse <laughs> yeah. this. Um, let's see here. I just, just a couple stupid. I swear to God, they're stupid points. Um, okay, so Ezra and Katie's relationship. Uh, there's a there's a moment uh, particularly. I think we kind of lightly touched on this before. Um, Ezra goes, mm, go on. You sure? We need way more than seven <laughs> oh, minutes for geez. that. And I'm just, and she goes, oh, it was always two minutes from what I remember. I'm just like, dude. That was a eye roll. That, these kids are 17. <laughs> yeah, same. They're 17. It's, it's not the graphic detail that I'm against, but it's the way in which this just reads far too experienced. It reads adult. like older. Yeah adult it people completely yeah. removes me from the narrative they speak as if they mm-hmm. each have long experienced sexual histories and it's just an, and this yeah. is a kind of a problem that i had with never as well so just you know take that for what (laughs) i really hope you guys don't do never nights because those are such a guilty pleasure for me i like those books despite all of my issues with issues i will assuage your worries it is extremely (laughs) unlikely we will ever do never night i refuse to read any negative reviews because i already know what they say because i have the same thoughts (laughs) fair fair um uh, wow. Really miscellaneous point. Ezra Mason's after-action report of the Copernicus incident. There's a moment. This is another line that I love. Uh, Aiden's voice. He's describing Aiden's voice as smooth, but lacking any kind of character or even gender. And the the metaphor is, or I should say the simile is, like a beautiful painting of a totally empty room. I just, mm-hmm. I love, there's something about that metaphor, that simile that I just, I love. It's just so good. And, and I guess that kind of, I do that, remember that one. That kind of goes into my last miscellaneous point, the quotability of this book. The quotability yes. is just off the charts. Cold as the belly of the void, little Leah Miles. If I could breathe, I would sigh. I would scream. I would cry. I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of that one, but it's still very quotable. Am I not merciful? Mm-hmm. Does that get any better? You know, it's, oh, God. I just, I love that one. And we also have these numerous references to Shakespeare that come up again and again. The draft that Juliet sought at her Romeo's lips. I'll sleep better in the hole than I will on 30 pieces of fucking silver. She walks in the night. Danny, you brought this one up earlier. From hell's heart, I stab at thee. You know, there's probably others that I'm forgetting or not even appreciating because I don't have the the context. Oh, Captain, my Captain. Uh, Well, Walt Whitman. Yeah, yeah. Like, just, just, mm. 
Well, actually, a really neat point in this is you have to remember this book is set in 2570-something, 2575. So... Some of the characters are quoting these things, and they're like, oh, that's one of my favorite poems. And he's like, a poem? I was just quoting it from a vid or I something. Saw that like, once. It's it's really nice, neat, a nice and neat uh, way to remind you that you're way in the future, and these pieces of literature are still obviously around. That's why they're classics. But younger people might not really realize that they're still relevant even from the 2000s while you're very right while you're very right there was one moment that ezra had that made me cringe a little bit on behalf of the authors he he uh asked at the very beginning to the interviewer he says you're taping this right and a part of me went dude kids today don't use the word taping They don't know what that means. They use their <laughs> yeah. smartphones. It's all recording. It's all digital. Kids 500 years in the future are not e- like they don't. <laughs> the idea of somebody yeah. then saying the what word does tape have to do with it is just like, what are you talking about? This is something that I feel like an editor should have picked up on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's it. Mm-hmm. Okay. A little anachronism. Uh, oh, sh- <laughs> no, I'm not going to bitch about that yet. No, never mind. I was going to have a little <laughs> bit where I bitch about the science, but I'll do that in a future episode. We're running pretty long today. Yes. Uh, yeah, we are. Uh, shall we go to yes, three favorite scenes? Yes, I'm ready to do three uh, three favorite scenes, and I'm also a little too inebriated. I'm just going to drink some more water. Um, Drew, explain how we do this <laughs> while I sip some of that H2O. Yeah, so uh, we go in rounds. Uh, Rob usually goes first. He'll give his third favorite, and then okay. Danny, you can do your third, and okay. I'll do my third, and then so on Basically and so forth. Like Thank you, Drew. All right, my third favorite is the aforementioned after-action report from Ezra Mason's point of view of the Copernicus incident, as Aiden refers to it. Um, Ezra's impressively rhapsodic musings about the vastness of space and our place in it, Uh, seven centimeters of ballistic-grade ceramic between you and absolutely f***ing nothing. 93 billion light-years of f***ing nothing. And then everything that just happens following, falling apart. The AI taking over their communications, telling them to destroy the shuttles full of civilians, and the nuclear destruction of of hundreds, maybe thousands of lives. It's just some seriously incredible storytelling that was so gripping, and it happened early enough that it was just like, narratively speaking, it was. I think it was perfect. So that's my third favorite. Okay, very nice, Danny. My turn? Yeah. Um, so I wrote down, really, it's so hard for me to do this. So I wrote down as my number three um, is Winifred McCall and, um, and um, oh, now I'm blinking on his name. James McNulty? Is it Chatter? Oh, uh, Chatter. Chatter. No, yeah. oh, sorry, Sierra Bowl and, and Chatter. No. Hmm. Right. I'm already messing this up. <laughs> it's this okay. It's the scene where um, he gets his suit gets punctured by the, the wound, and she has to McNulty. let him. Okay, yes, McNulty. Yeah, yeah. McNulty. So yeah. Winifred McCall and McNulty, and realizing that she has to leave him behind, and oh, that scene was so tense for it me, was. and I really liked it. Yeah, that was a great yeah. choice. Yeah. So my third favorite is. Uh, Dr. Tobias Salinger's laboratory Ooh. report. Series of laboratory Read with reports. the lights on. 
absolutely brilliant work showing his descent into madness mm-hmm. through his his reports it, like in in let's see one two three four pages like this is a short story right here mm-hmm. you yeah. you could take these four pages straight out of the book and hand them to somebody and they get a complete horror short story it's excellent mm. I'm so glad that you that you chose that because I would like it's not even in my top five or ten, but the fact that you explained it that way makes me want to read it mm-hmm. five more times tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a sucker for that horror, especially before bed. <laughs> Sweet. Okay, my uh, my second favorite scene: the aftermath of Operation Brainstorm, where Alexander or the Alexander successfully deployed that logic bomb. And everybody's celebrating. <clears throat> and then Aiden decides, I'm going to open the door to Hangar Bay 4. And then everything that follows. <laughs> As readers, we went from elation to horror in the space of one sentence. Mm-hmm. That beautiful tragedy that comes afterwards with Aiden explaining his logic. And we are helpless to do anything but watch <laughs> or read mm-hmm. as he leads the afflicted to the bridge and Torin's really puts himself and his character on display. I mean, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of David Torrens as a person, but as a character, again, I'll hammer this brilliant, brilliantly written character. Mm-hmm. He went out as a general and captain should, but in a way that even though I guess f- on paper is cliche, it still reads so just satisfactorily. It's just so good. You know, he goes out, like a general and a captain, like a man. Aiden mm-hmm. taking Torin's dying request to heart about his family. I will tell them, David. And his closing lines, so beautiful, so epic, so chilling. Am I not merciful? <coughs> like, there's a bunch of things I want to get tattooed on me in my lifetime. Cosmere symbols, Wheel of Time images, quotes <laughs> from my favorite series, band symbols. If I were to get an Illuminate tattoo, this would be it. In a heavily digitized font, mm-hmm. am I not merciful? Mm-hmm. Just mm, so good. That's my second favorite. That's a good okay. one. Um, I wrote my second favorite is uh, Aiden and Katie's last stand against Dreadnought Lincoln, mm. um, where he's mm. she's taken over the defense grid and she's shooting and she has no idea what she's doing and and Aiden is kind of right over her shoulder and helping her and they're just working together and then it gets vaporized (laughs) it's just considering your lack of experience i would say you're doing perfectly adequate and that she just i really (laughs) i really liked that if you could hack away that part of aiden that makes him a condescending prick i would very much appreciate it thank you (laughs) (laughs) levity oh it's Yeah, yeah it that was a really, really good scene, and I got a chance to actually listen on audiobook all the way through, and it was, it had me gripped. I, I was in my garage, in my car, listening to it in my car's speakers, and I did not want to go in the house because I was so True, into you have it to do the audiobook sometimes. That was a good, it's so good, good for moments like these. It's so good. Good, good enough to uh, risk carbon yes. monoxide poisoning. Uh, I <laughs> no, my car was not <laughs> on. Hey, the battery. You don't need gasoline. <laughs> you talking about? No, just, just say that it was and say it's that good. <laughs> I, I just, yeah. 
Aiden is worth carbon monoxide poisoning. <gasps> <laughs> And I will not explain that sigh until some other point in the future. Okay. Now. <laughs> well, uh, well, I'm going to do a, a quick honorable mention before I do my second one. Uh, the first time uh, Katie gets back inside the Alexander after going, like, extravehicular mm-hmm. and through the speakers... Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Easily, easily Ooh, they the scariest you part had of the whole this, book. Like absolutely, yeah. Drew. You had hell. the same honorable yes. mention. I did. absolutely, dude. Oh, yeah. You have to listen to that. Well, I also had, I also had the same second favorite. Did scene. you? <laughs> oh. uh, yeah, Torrance's yeah. last stand and and Aiden's all those brass buttons across a barrel broad know. chest. An officer and a gentleman. The brutality yeah. of mathematics. You could tell I just listened to this today for like the twentieth time. Just oh my god, so good. But yeah, Little Birdie was my honorable mention too. We are on the same frequency right now, Drew. You again? <laughs> I just now, keep now hammering. I'm scared you're gonna pick my my favorite. The first time <laughs> that came up on the audiobook, Danny, you can back me up. Little birdie. Oh gosh! There and the guy who's voicing it is like right in the Putting microphone, out and he's like sounds oh like my he's god. Like, it's just it's such a it's such a creepy sort of carnival kind of mm-hmm. over enthusiastic, excited, perverted voice that you're just like, oh my god! It's ah, it's so good, but it's so bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. good scene though. It is. I I struggled. I actually had that down as my third favorite before changing my mind and doing the uh, the lab notes. Is it my turn for a favorite scene now? Okay. Uh, it is. Danny, you took this one already. Oh. It's not the bullets that kill you. It's the moments like these. One piece at a time. First Lieutenant Winifred McCall's after-action report of the incident in Hangar Bay 4. And the sacrifice of Sergeant Bames, uh, <laughs> James McNulty, you know, that scene rips mm-hmm. my heart out of my chest every time I read it. I mean, the second time I read it, I f-ing cried. The same with the third, mm-hmm. same with the fourth. Somewhere around the fifth, I was finally able to get through it with, a, with you know, a little bit of just the, the watery eye. You know, oh, it's, it's a lot of dust in the shop, a lot of fumes in the shop. I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm not crying, you know. What an emotionally mm-hmm. crushing moment. What like a situation to find ourselves in as readers with the context that we have, Astro Princess, the context that we didn't even know that we had at that point. His last message to Ezra. You know. And even though like uh this next is is a different c- uh scene later in the book, we know it follows immediately after chronologically the last mm-hmm. will and testament of James McNulty in the mm-hmm. video that Katie discovers on his body. <clears throat> I'm getting emotional right now. His dying words, the fear in his voice, the heartbreak, like the way he wants his medals to go, to be given to Ezra, mm-hmm. to be melted into a ring for Astro princess. Like just Jesus. I, <laughs> this is where I'm going to justify what I said about the audiobook. When, when you get here in the audiobook, there is no way you do not just, enter a different state when you're hearing this it's so it's, it's hard to explain yeah 
but this is my favorite scene in the whole book. And I don't think Drew is going to be surprised by this at all. Nope, not suppressed. Not suppressed. <laughs> so. All right, Danny. Okay. Your favorite scene of the book. Well, um, oh, so or, my runner-up okay, is um, actually, so... It's actually audiobook specific, and it uh, is um, one of one of the scenes where Ezra and his team are doing their fighter pilot thing. Actually, it's during the logic bomb, um, and they're shooting. And in in the hardcover, it's all like words, and they're all kind of Tetris together, uh-huh. really big font and everything. And it's really cool. And you read it, but you don't really know exactly what way to read it. It's not intuitive on. What order Do you have to the read them? page number? In the audiobook. Um, yeah. The uh, page number in the hardcover is 282. Okay. Go in there right now. I haven't seen, it's a really I haven't graphic picture. Sorry. Um, in the audiobook, oh, sh- each of those, each of those um, sentences or little excerpts are voiced by different people. And mm-hmm. it, it has this overlay of like, you know, pew 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 and all that and it's really intense and really fun to listen to um i just i really liked that part and that's an audiobook audiobook uh, exclusive scene that i like because in in the hardcover it's kind of easy to glaze over it a little bit but in the audiobook it's very yeah it's so good but yeah yeah, that's my runner up (laughs) For the astute listener, you can hear Ezra Mason. You can hear uh, McLeod Andrews. Yes. You can hear him in there twice, right? But you have to listen mm-hmm. for it because you have to know that he's on Echo Squad. And you have to know that mm-hmm. he's ready to do this. Mm-hmm. He keeps screaming. And you can find his lines here. I'm looking at them now. But, yeah, when mm-hmm. you hear them, you can definitely pick them out a lot easier. Yeah, it's really something. I, I just, I, I'm, I, I'm hammering this point too much into the ground. <laughs> I'm not going to say it again. Just get the audiobook. So f***ing good. Yeah. Um. So that yeah, that would be my runner up, but I wouldn't say it's my favorite because it's not exactly equal in the book and the hardcover and the audiobook. My favorite scene. Let's let's keep this short. This time around, my very favorite scene reading this book was the first interview of Katie and Ezra because them <laughs> rehashing that storyline from both of their perspectives through an interview was really cool and really made me feel like I was there. (laughs) It was, it was really great. I really liked that scene. And that actually hooked me this time around because I was like, Oh, am I going to really want to read this book for the umpteenth time? Yeah. That, that scene hooked me to, (laughs) to blow through this book. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It it was a good intro. And I agree. It was a a solid hook at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Uh, Both times I started reading this book, I was like, okay, yeah, like I can get into this. So, um, but my favorite is the conversation between Katie and Aiden, not when Aiden reveals that he was the one talking to her, not, uh, um, instead of Ezra, but a few pages later when she asks how long. Yeah. Mm. For some mm. reason, it, it was the line when Aiden said, the last words he spoke to you were his goodbye before the Lincoln attacked, the poems in the heart. That was him. 
like that was that was yeah, a she asked him in that moment she said do you lo- you said you loved me and he says yes mm-hmm. i did and then she uh uh brings out some invective uh and he says, I am incapable of sexual congress. Yes. <laughs> Your descriptor is yeah. nonsensical. Yeah. <laughs> That's some flirting. <laughs> but no, that, just that line specifically, the last words he spoke to you were his goodbye before the Lincoln attacked. Mm-hmm. The poems in the heart. That was him. Like. Whew. Yeah. So good. I remember my first time reading the book and I, re- I got to that part. I had to go back into the book and read everything that yeah. Ezra said afterwards and be like oh my god that was Aiden all this time we didn't even There's realize goodbye, it like oh god oh god mm-hmm. yeah so yeah all right so that's everything I have to say about Illuminae the first book I'm ready to go into the final draft if you two have nothing else that you want to bring up at the moment uh I am ready for the final draft okay. as well let's all right do so it. I'll start us off here I am drinking a fruited sour, and I, I'm not a fan of sours. This is from Flying Monkey. Sorry, I should say Flying Monkey's Craft Brewery in Barrie, Ontario. So this is sort of local to me here. It's only about five, six hours of a drive away. Um, I didn't like it, but i just not a fan of sours. It was the name that stuck out to me here. And I'm going to read a very quick quote. This is on page 570 of the physical novel here. This goes very much towards the theme of the book, I think. And this is here between Katie and Aiden at the very end, after they have just vanquished the the Alexander, the Lincoln. Do you see? She says nothing, simply stares. The universe owes you nothing, Katie. It had... Sorry. It has already given you everything, after all. It was here long before you, and it will go on long after you. The only way it will remember you is if you do something worthy of remembrance. Her eyes are full of tears, surface tension gluing them to her lashes until she blinks. Then they scatter, gathering like the starlight beyond. Who will remember the ghosts of Carenza? Who will remember Sergeant James McNulty? Or Captain Anne Chow? Or Byron Zhang? Who will remember your mother, Katie? I don't know. Yes, you do. This here is a brew called Memories of the Future. There we go. I like that. Very nice. The uh, the can looks really. Thank cool you. It's very too. psychedelic and very much it. painted. I was yeah. having trouble reading that because the page is entirely in black and the room here has the light shut <laughs> off. So for Aiden's part of that, I was reading black on black. It was very hard to read. But yeah. Uh, so Rob, I'm gonna quote something. At okay. You. In the night, when the wind dies and silence rules the place <laughs> of glittering stone. I remember. Yeah. And they all live again. Soldiers yeah. live. And wonder why. <laughs> and yes, wonder they why. do. Yes, they do. Memories of the future. All right. Danny. Very what are you nice. sipping on during this episode? Is it my turn? Yes. Yes. I am not a big drinker. Um... I was drinking my favorite 
coffee and now I'm got I've got the shakes. <laughs> I, my favorite uh, coffee is Ethiopian Yurgashev. It's really mild. It's Ooh. kind of floral, delicious. Um, I get it from a local coffee place here in Phoenix called Coffee Rush. And they have like three places. They're owned by brothers. And I've been going there ever since I moved here. I love their coffee shop. And I get two bags of coffee every two weeks. And I go through it. And I try to, I try not to drink too much coffee. But that's my it's favorite. Hard not to win. It's Absolute not good. favorite. Yep. And uh, <laughs> whenever I, whenever I read the parts with them. Sit B, Byron, and Katie. And stims? Katie goes, you know, those those stims will kill you, you know. I'm like, yeah, my stims are going to kill me. <laughs> my hand's shaking. <laughs> yeah. Nice, nice. Drew, what did you bring to the table tonight? So I, I brought two beers. I only drank one. Unfortunately, the first beer uh, that I brought was infected. Yikes! Uh, I, I, I knew I it's knew got in the advance virus. Uh, there was a possibility. <laughs> uh, it, it was called um, it's called Number Crunch uh, from Bottle Logic Brewing Company. Like, Don't uh, look at I, me. I, I traded for the beer, and when I made the trade, I knew that about one in five or one in six bottles had been infected, and mm. I was like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll roll the dice." Unfortunately, I, I rolled the dark one's eyes. Oh, um, <laughs> but uh, but so in, instead, I, I opened another bottle. And this one is from Smog City Brewing Company in Torrance, California. It is a bourbon barrel-aged Imperial Porter with coconut and coffee. I'm trying to see if there's an ABV on this. There, There is. It is uh, 10.6%. It is very strongly coffee, I, I gotta say. Hmm. I don't get a whole ton of coconut, and I only get a little bit of that bourbon barrel. It is, it is just very roasty coffee. Um, but it is called is ticking clock. Ah, oh, nice. Time remaining until the Lincoln interception. Percentage, of, <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, so good. And if you listen to that audiobook, you will hear that ticking yep. clock. Percentage of remaining Alexander <laughs> personnel afflicted with a focus virus. Yeah, like oh, this this download, <laughs> like oh, it's so good. This countdown is amazing. All right, yeah. That about wraps yeah. up Illuminate, doesn't it? I th- I think it does. And what episode 107. is this? Uh, According to the spreadsheet. Well, the spreadsheet is accurate now. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we had a little snafu with that uh, a Oops. couple of months ago, but uh, but yeah. So this has been episode one hundred seven of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Next up, we will be going right on ahead with this series with. Gemini, yes, correct. You nailed it. Cool. Uh, and as always, if you want to support the show, check us out on Patreon at patreoncom inkingoutloud. You can get access to all kinds of bonus content, uh, original fiction written by Rob or myself, bonus episodes every month, monthly newsletter, uh, early access to episodes if you want. So uh, consider support uh, supporting the show there. I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey. And with me, my co-host, Rob yep. Santos. And our very special guest and artist, Danny. I had so much fun doing this, you Thank guys. You. Let's, let's, I'm yeah. so much fun. Thank you for coming on. 
And, you know, we had such a good time. We're going to have you on next week again. Yes. Yay. Now I have to go draw the logos. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, no, no. I'm sure. We don't even have to give her. <laughs> we don't even have to give her ideas. She will be able to just take it and run. Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, as always, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye.